Hello and welcome to a special edition of Hawks on Tap with Stephen G. This is the uh, Black Wednesday edition because everybody associated with the Seahawks is getting fired today and we're happy. So racist. It is as usual. With me, with me is Chief and Chief, I gotta ask, were you able to take a break from your grueling, grueling workday, slinging loans to follow a little bit of Hawks news today? You know... Uh, it was tough to pry myself away. I, I super love doing mortgages, but uh, I was able to uh, be on Twitter most of the day. So uh, yep. I did not miss a beat, and it was quite a hectic day. Somehow I'm not surprised. Slinging those FHA loans, those FHQ loans, really whatever it takes. <laughs> yes, the FHQ is new on the market. Uh, very prevalent in Seattle. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. That's my target <laughs> so let's jump into it and figure out what happened today. So for those of the uninitiated, the Hawks cut their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator, their assistant head coach, in quotes, slash offensive line coach. And if we have time, Chief, we're going to get to the biggest departure of the day. That is their 69-year-old quarterbacks coach, Carl Tater Smith. Oh, uh, yeah, so that's going to be a huge departure. But let's let's really hit these in the order that they happened today. So I guess it broke at 11.30 last night, and uh, people like me who go to bed around 8.15 didn't figure it out until this morning. And that is that Daryl Bevel was fired. So Daryl Bevel, offensive coordinator, great, great first five years in Seattle, very middle of the pack the last two. Uh, how are we feeling about this? Are we happy about this firing? Well, I'm, I haven't hidden my my displeasure with Bevel over the years. Um, no. You know, it, oddly enough, this has actually been my favorite year of his. <laughs> I, I've hated him. And then this year, there was many times where I caught myself saying, damn, he's calling some good games. Um, I don't know if that's just a function of everybody else being so shitty across our team that he all of a sudden looked normal. Or, or I don't know what it was. But, you know, I didn't. I do think that it was time for him to go. I think we need a, a, a fresh voice and and to look at some new things. But you know, I don't. I don't. I don't. Do yeah, you know, seven seven years is a long tenure, and and we're ready for a change. And there were times where you know I got tired of Bevel, and times where I liked him, and and up and down. But that's just the nature of being an offensive coordinator. So it, it's time for a change. But I guess first of all, if we're going to cover the things we liked about him, um, first of all, <clears throat> the results. His first year, obviously, inherited a team. The results weren't great. Um, but after that, by most offensive efficiency statistics, he was a, a top 10 offense, usually a top five here until the last two years. So he was very successful um, and not always with a ton of talent, with the offense not even spending a lot of money. So I think we got to be happy about, about the results. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read a thing. I, I feel like he kind of saw the writing on the wall. He knew this could be his last year. They I read something today about his tendencies were so much different in 2017 than they've been um, in the past few years. I think he knew he had to try to change some things this year to, to spark something, to get it to move forward. And it just didn't click. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think it all ended for him in one gloomy afternoon in Glendale, Arizona. I, I think it did. And that leads us to our next point. We certainly have, um, some things we appreciate about him, but when you're talking on offensive coordinators, you have to go straight to the things you're not going to miss. So yeah. if we're going to make a list of things we're not going to miss, um, you know, what's on the top of that list Ooh. for you, Chief? I will not miss stupid bubble screens. I will yep. not miss running the ball in every obvious situation. Yes. Um, 
you know, other than that, I can't, you know, I, you know, one thing that I heard today too is, you know, during that Super Bowl that we lost to New England, like you get the midfield at, on that last drive, he freaking chucks it deep three times. I mean, what kind of, what kind of strategy is that? I mean, that's just weird. So yeah, much, so, so much reliance yeah, that... on short passes, like behind the line of scrimmage, and deep passes. We didn't really use the middle of the field and the intermediate routes like you pretty much have to in today's NFL. Yeah, without a doubt. So it seems like when teams pick us apart, they're doing all the crossing routes, they're using the tight end, they're using matchups. Yeah. How do they get how do they get their speedster tight end onto our slower linebackers? You know, things of that nature. And it's just it's hard to see us doing any of that. Yeah. Every time we're making progress, it's, it's trying to run, which doesn't work. Or it's a Dougie trying to take down their top corner, which he's capable of. But how about creating some mismatches? I haven't, I haven't seen, you know, Dougie or anybody get to burn a linebacker. We're just not creating those mismatches, it seems Well, like. that only happens when you run a guy across the field. So we don't do that. True. So, you know, if we're going to leave Doug outside against all the elite cornerbacks in the league, he's not going to feast like you would on a linebacker or a strong safety, which those guys are known to roam the middle of the field. They are. They are. And if you want to feast, you're going to have to do those things. Everybody right. knows that. Like a, like a sure. triple steak and bacon feast. <laughs> it would be very similar to that. If you're man enough to keep that down. What? That is. I've only seen so, it attempted a few times. <laughs> exactly. Maybe later tonight. So if we move on from Daryl Bevel, we go to really somebody. Usually the offensive coordinator is the most controversial person on the staff. Seattle's a bit of an exception in that Tom Cable seemed to take endless heat from Seattle fans for his role. And if we can just frame this conversation a little bit, first of all, he had the assistant head coach title, right? Which yeah. I don't think really means anything. It's just it's just a more title. of a yeah. yeah, more of a title. More of a title for D oh, yeah, around yeah. the headquarters. I my I changed my business card to a production manager, so I am pretty sure I'm uh living large now. Oh yeah, I'm I'm now the managing director. So that's a real title. Don't oh, worry yeah. about that. That's and, totally real. And I'm like the senior vice president of creative design of Hawks on Tap too. So <laughs> put that on you, my you, resume. you for sure are that. So Tom K so Tom Cable, he he's the assistant head coach. He's the offensive line coach, and maybe the most comical of all, he's the run game coordinator. Wow. And that's been an official thing that the Hawks have put out there. And so most fans uh, like myself, and, and I think like you to a certain extent, believe the issues with the Hawks revolve around the offensive line. And so when we see Cable go, you know, there's a couple components to it. I guess first of all is, you know, how do we feel about his coaching? And then second of all, is he the person that really needed to be held accountable for this mess at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about the coaching. I think the personnel decisions that he was allowed to influence is really kind of what got us in the mess that we're in. Um, you know, he had to have his guys. And, you know, we have three first-round picks and two second-round picks on our offensive line, and we're getting nothing from them. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't say we haven't invested draft capital. And when you put those kind of resources towards an area, you expect a better return on your investment. We're not getting it. So he had to take the fall for it. Um, the question, yeah, I think, I mean, moving sorry, forward, go ahead. are we too far down the road of being a zone blocking team? How do we get out of that? How, how do we transition or do we transition in another guy with another voice that's going to teach the same things? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and it's hard to say, right, how much is zone blocking, how much is coaching, how much is personal. And we really don't know, right, without any type of behind-the-scenes access, you know, access to the Hawks. But but 
anytime he was able to take a raw talent and mold them into something, like maybe J.R. Sweezy or even James Carpenter, who's turned into a good starter. Yeah. You know, they did they did it for the last six games of their contract here. Right. They played well. And then they went off somewhere else. Somebody else paid him, and we didn't even get the advantage of that. Yeah. You know, even even Russell Okung, who was solid, solid the whole time really didn't got a lot better after he left and went to Denver and played every game without getting hurt and then went to San Diego and played fantastic. Yeah, so, so it's I mean, we're gonna draft a guy and we're gonna have him for four years, right? And it's gonna take us three and a half years to get him up to a standard of where we need him to be just in time for him to get paid and to price himself out of our market. So where mm-hmm. you're right, we don't get to see the benefit from it. And then that's the flaw in this that's the flaw in this uh, you know way we look at things here it's it's the black flaw in our chardonnay for sure <laughs> exactly so i think i think the i so you know i think my summary on cable like um he obviously did a lot of good and we had marshawn and we had you know some of these better linemen but but at the end of the day for me it's about accountability you're the run game coordinator you're the evaluator of ol talent offensive line talent from everything we can see and it's been a massive failure for two years in a row arguably two and a half at some point there just has to be accountability and so i like the move yeah kudos to pete for doing this because for the longest time i was so down on pete for just not making changes and just allowing this to be the status quo and being happy with being mediocre and and kudos to pete for actually i know it's not easy to get rid of your buddies and, and guys you you know been in the trenches with and you know these are your guys and and those aren't easy conversations but kudos to him for actually doing that and, and seeing the bigger picture here. It had to happen. It, it it did have to happen, right? And and when you had to fire your buddies from Godfathers when you were a manager there, like it had to be a similar feeling that it was just hard to hold people accountable to, to proper technique. Well, we had a certain bloodhound that used to pull the ploy <laughs> and that made it pretty easy. Yeah, well, that's, that, that's a valid point. So I do make fun of our Carl Tater Smith quarterback coach who's 69 years old because there's very few things about that that aren't hilarious. But <laughs> at the end of the day, we have a pretty old school coach or who has to be, you know, with a 66-year-old head coach or however old Pete Carroll is. Right. And, and we have Russell Wilson, a unique, dynamic, one-of-a-kind quarterback. Um, so, I, I, you know, obviously it's impossible for for – you know, kind of casual fans like us to comment on a quarterback coach, but uh, aren't you a little excited? Maybe somebody younger and fresher and maybe who's been around the mobile quarterback game as a player to get in there and help wrestle? Yeah, I mean, that seems like just a weird hire by Pete Carroll. Just a, just a good old boys club. Like, hey, you want to be the QB coach? You know, come, come hang out in Seattle. I, I think that's what that was. Um, I think now we're going to see you know, like you said, a fresh voice, somebody that's going to challenge Russell Wilson and, and bring out the best in him versus a guy, you know, Russell probably didn't have to take super seriously and just, you know, Russell's going to be challenged. Which is good. Well, that's its own episode, but but clearly Russell has some issues that need to be addressed as well. He was, how do we say, he had a great statistical year, but when your teammates don't know what's coming from one throw to the next, it makes it, makes it really hard to run an offense and run a team. So, right. We'll we'll dissect that. So let's end by flipping over to the other side of the ball, at really the defensive side of the ball. And we've had some good defensive coordinators through here. The two previous ones went on to head coaching jobs. Um, Gus Bradley not successfully. Dan Quinn very successfully. Um, this then we turned to, to to Chris Richard, and I believe this was his only his second year in charge of the defense. And and we saw a decline. And a lot of people think it might have been because of the injuries. 
but a lot of people think that that he maybe wasn't the right guy to keep these guys motivated and and keep all these big personalities in line. So, yeah. Chris Richard, how do we feel about him going? You know, I, it sounds like the players all really like Chris Richard, and you know, he's almost like one of them because he's not very very old. You know, he's he's basically mm-hmm. their age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for all for everything I've seen, he's a good dude. Uh, wasn't a great player, but that doesn't really matter when it comes to coaching. Uh, I mean, look at look at our look at our bloodhound, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. You don't need you don't need to you don't need to strap up the uni to to full effect to really you know excel in some other area of football. That's a good point. Right. You can quit. You can quit JV football and on the great things. I mean, you can. Can. you can. You can go on to almost manage any fast food restaurant you want, and it's not an issue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so back to Chris Richard. I think I think he saw the blueprint that Bradley and Quinn had. You know, I mean, it's basically Pete Carroll's defense. I think he's just you know plug and play type of thing. Just call my cover three, and you know, a couple of years I'll be a head coach. And and you know, with the injuries this year and everything that happened, it didn't work out. He showed no creativity until like it was too late. I mean, never a blitz, never. I mean, it was just so bland, and and really all the third and long, our third and long on defense, not being able to get off the field. I mean, I bet you Pete, Pete Carroll went back and looked at these tapes and and saw how many of those were converted on us, and just probably made his blood boil, and and that was the writing on the wall for Mister Rashad. Yeah, I think that's fair, and 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 it did feel very bland, and what was amazing was how you could tell when something different happened because right. it just never happened. So, you know, towards the end of the year, we did those corner blitzes and, they and it was like, whoa, what, what, yeah. what team are we watching? And of course, I think we had an 80% success rate on corner blitzes. If not, if not a hundred percent, you know, Griffin got in there, yeah. Coleman got home twice. Uh, I think Lane even got home once. Maybe they're, they're very successful. Um, but even that, you know, you didn't see a ton of Bobby blitzing. You didn't see a ton of KJ yeah, blitzing <clears throat> and really, Oh, and he's he's a great pass rusher. So they're just and there just didn't seem to just didn't seem to be adjustments, you know. Whereas whereas the offense got better as the game went on, it, it didn't always seem like the Hawks D got better. We gave up some some drives to get people in the field goal range to beat us in the end, and um, it just didn't feel like there was enough active coaching going many, on from the how defensive many times coordinator. Was a third and ten plus, or even like third and eight. And literally, our back, our linebackers, our corners, everybody was playing like behind the first down marker. They, like, and how many times do you see a little check down to a running back, just a little check down, and him run to the first down? Like, dude, you can't do that. If you're gonna, like, we've got to be ready to pounce on that if we're gonna play deep like that. And we're treating like it's third and twenty-five. Yeah, and it's third and eight. Yeah, you know, but but probably I only saw that like. <laughs> 22 yeah. or 23 like, times so it's not like it was anything game, <laughs> yeah yeah just like every third and long for the most third part. and long but if you don't get off the field on third and long it's gonna be a long day yeah you know it's the old joke about the prevent d right it just right. prevents the victory well it, it prevents us from us enjoying this stupid team when we see this stuff happen all the time like yeah. come on like <clears throat> i'd at least rather see some aggressiveness and just anything happened. Like, be yourselves. We're supposed to be this go-punch-everybody-in-the-mouth every, right. team. <clears throat> and then we get a situation where we need to play, and we just stand yeah. back and watch it happen. And it, it's, just, it's really frustrating. Weird. We are, like, on the playground now. We're like that little kid that's, like, hiding in the corner, like, just hoping not to get picked on. And we used to be the guy walking around the playground, 
beaten, you know, like saying, come message me, you know? And that just doesn't happen anymore. We're just don't mm-hmm. have that, mm-hmm. those guys anymore. Um, we got to reinvent ourselves. Um, we got to get back to that. I know that's how Pete wants to play. Um, so I, it yep. sounds like Pete yep. had a little coming to Jesus meeting with himself and said, I got to get back to playing football how I want to play football. And I think, I think we're going to see the moves reflect that this offseason. I think so too. You know, his, his philosophy is always compete, you know, and win forever. And, and part of that is holding people accountable and they've held players accountable in the past. And he's never held coaches accountable. Not, not once that, that we know of as far as major positions. So he, he really is. So it's good to see him execute his philosophy. I think it will allow him to get back to his kind of his core beliefs and, and what he wants to do. And, and and we can hope that that's where this is going. Um, But, but it also starts with getting the players in there to match that instead of these, you know, prima donnas who need the spotlight on them 24 hours a day, maybe find some I'm people who we can keep uh, our, our draft picks away from the all-terrain vehicles here this offseason. That would be a start. Uh, um, I mean, <laughs> that'd, be, I that'd mean, be helpful. Uh, yeah, you mean, all th- you mean all three of our draft oh, picks that we're going to have in the upcoming draft? Yeah, that's going to be brutal. <laughs> in, so in, in the draft where we need all right, so we're gonna... lots of picks, we have none. <laughs> We have none. Go, go figure. So we're going to cover that in more episodes. We're going to cover, we're going to cover, you know, the draft picks that are coming up. We're going to cover these players. We're going to do positional breakdowns. Uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up. Um, we're also going to cover potential replacements or depending on how fast things move, who are the replacements for offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterbacks, coach, etc. But we did learn our lesson last week, which was right when we started talking trash about John Schneider, like an hour later, yeah, he was confirmed to be back. Well. So, no, that was not an evergreen podcast. We're going to uh, work on some better staff. Oh. The went three and out in the first quarter on their offensive possessions, fifty-seven percent of the time this year, which is an awesome way to start the game. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Twenty-ninth in first down efficiency, meaning yards gained on first down. So. We just got nothing done on the ground. We got nothing done in the first quarter. These are all things we have to change moving forward, and we'll talk about it in the future. Um, but those are just things that stood out to me that just just tell tell the story of the season, you know. Okay, final final question before we sign off. When you when we you know go to go to shut it down tonight, and you say, you know what, I you know I'm I'm kind of glad all these coaches are gone, but I kind of feel a little bit bad for blank. Who is it that you maybe feel a just little bit better? Daryl Bevel, he's just, from all accounts, a nice guy and a great guy, and he's been a good soldier, and he hasn't beat up any women or anything. <laughs> that's a good That's a good start, <laughs> exactly. We're not going to say about you, that's for sure. That was never proven. <laughs> so I would, also, I would also say Bevel, and I think the reason is he is a good guy. He had a lot of years where this offense, where this offense was was ranked. They're good right. years, top ten, like whatever it was, five, three years Somebody's in a row, four years in a row. Somebody's gonna uh, pick him up. I mean, even in his bad years, his offense is middle of pack. So I mean, yeah, his yeah, exactly. And I just got the feeling that he was never able to do what he wanted to do. He yeah. made all that happen within some pretty tight constraints that were put on him by Carroll, by Cable, right. by the personnel. And that if he was really able to implement his system fully, like he did in Minnesota before he got here, he would be a pretty yeah. valuable asset. I mean, it, you know, his voice, I mean, it was definitely time for him to go, but 
good dude. Wish him well, and I think he's going to land on his feet, which is great. All right, so they all seem like good dudes. We wish them all well, and they certainly give a shit about <laughs> what most. we think, so the that's most. super important. <laughs> the, the most. So, all right, that's it for this Hawks on Tap. We'll be back to talk about some replacements here shortly. Uh, in the meantime, please give us a five-star review, because that's what people seem to say at the end of podcasts, so oh, we want to be the I'll, same. I'll and... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be honest. If if the majority of them are over two, I'll be a little surprised. I'll I'll, I'll be. Happy, so. <laughs> I'm sorry. Somebody votes to do what for them? Wait, are we rated? Is this does this thing have a rating? Like, is the FCC listening? <laughs> yeah, this podcast you can rate it MA for most annoying. mature audiences only. <laughs> All, right. All right, we better go before this gets worse. Woo! All right, Hawks on tap out. Thanks.